Heavenly Father, we pray that as we celebrate uh, our team members being baptized tonight and as we delight in your, good, your goodness, we pray that you will help us to understand your word on baptism, what it means, what it's about, and how we can take part in your plan. Amen. So, if you're near a red Bible, would you like to join me in the New Testament book of Acts? Acts chapter 2. Uh, you can find it on your phone as well, if that's your preferred way of reading your Bible. But we're on Acts chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to start towards the end of chapter 2, page 1094. Now let me set you a little bit of a scene. So this is the story of what we call Pentecost Sunday. That is, it's the very first Sunday where a Christian leader stands up and explains to people who are not yet Christians the full story of Jesus. What he said, what he did, his death, his resurrection, all those sorts of things. It's the very first time that happens. And at the end, the guy speaking, Peter, makes this appeal. So join me on page 1094, Acts chapter 2, verse 40. With many other words, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as Kat said, a few weeks back we were doing a little series we called Good Gathering, thinking about how can we make our time together better as Christians here in the evening. We looked at different things. We looked at singing, we looked at praying, we looked at sharing together, all sorts of things. We looked at breaking bread and drinking wine, the Lord's Supper, and we held over thinking about baptism until we actually had baptisms happening in the building. So we're thinking about what the Bible said. Why baptism? Why baptism? Well, here's a funny thing. You won't find the word baptism in the Old Testament at all. And one of the surprising things is that when Peter stands up and explains who Jesus is, people think, oh, well, it's obvious then I ought to get baptized. There had been baptisms before. John the Baptist, getting people ready for Jesus, had used this picture of plunging into water and getting clean again to get people ready for Jesus. Jesus had talked about it a little bit, but this mass response to Jesus with baptism was something remarkably new. And yet, when you take the lid off and you say to the early Christians, how did you make why do you make sense of this? Why do you use this picture of water to be a picture of following Jesus? They came up with a number of different elements 
all of which came from the whole Bible. So what we're going to do tonight is not so much look at one passage, we're not going to look at Acts 2, we're going to kind of glance off that and look at three stories and three pictures which come together to make one truth. Three stories, three pictures to make one truth. And these three stories come from the very beginning of the Bible story of God's dealing with his people. The first one comes, before there were people really, at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. When before God has made people or plants or anything, the Bible says that God's spirit was moving over the waters. Now this is that picture of water. What that means is the beginning of the story <coughs> looks a little bit like chaos, but it looks a little bit like a, a clean slate, a clean slate. A little bit like a fresh a start, which has got nothing marking on it. You can't write on water or all those sorts of things. So before God moves to work things, he starts with a completely clean slate. That's what the first Bible story. Water means a clean state. Clean state. Everything ready to go, nothing spoiling it. Now take that right the way over. And let that picture linger in your mind as you join me in Mark chapter 1. We'll do a little bit of, if you're not familiar with the Bible, sit and listen. But if you are familiar with the Bible, try to find the Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> Halfway through chapter 1. It says this. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. So you've got a kind of echo of the Genesis story. You've got water and you've got the Holy Spirit like a dove sort of moving over the water. And Jesus comes out of the water just like everything had come out of the water at the beginning of the story. In other words, our first story tells us that baptism is about a new creation, a completely new start. Whatever had gone before in human history and whatever had gone wrong in human history, God is stepping in to start all over again. So this is a very powerful picture. As you see our two come up out of the water tonight, you're to think again of Jesus coming up out of the water as a brand new start. God resetting history and starting it again with Jesus. Second story comes from a few chapters later. God is furious with humankind and sends a flood, a massive flood, but it doesn't destroy absolutely everybody. You remember the story. He rescued the animals, but he rescued Noah and his wife and their sons and their daughters and, and their wives. It's a picture of God rescuing people. The ark, it was what we call it, this giant floating box. But it's a picture of being rescued, being safe, being secure, being looked after. And the New Testament writers took that picture of the ark and said, that is what happens when you are baptized. You are looked after. You are safe. 
you are secure. And the very things that led God to be angry with people to send the flood in the first place are removed from you. Turn with me, this is going to be a bit of a finger flick, to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's on page 1219. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3. Now it's in the middle of a tricky bit of a, an explanation and we're not going to go every curly which way with him. But join with me in verse 19. Page 1219, 1 Peter 3. After being made alive, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, that's a curly bit, we're not going to go follow him down, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. In other words, the Old Testament story tells us something about what we're rescued from, but it makes the problem sound a little bit outside us. Peter says the, story is in, the problem is inside us, and what God gives you as a, as a Christian is a clean conscience. Not just a clean body, but a clean conscience. Conscience, my word, wouldn't you want one of those? To be guilt-free, trouble-free, memory-free. And Peter says that's what God gives you. That's what God gives people. And that baptism symbolizes not something outside, but something inside. A clean conscience. Third picture from the Old Testament. We looked at creation, we looked at the flood. Third picture. Is when God's people have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. He finally rescues them, leads them through the desert, and being chased by the Egyptians, they come up to the edge of the Red Sea. With the Red Sea behind them and the Egyptian armies advancing, God does an amazing miracle and he opens up the water and the people walk through to the land and the waters close again. And then... A few years later, he repeats it. As they cross through the river Jordan to go into the land there to possess, the water parts. They walk through, and the water closes again. Baptism is a picture of being part of God's salvation story, of belonging to God. That's when God took his people, made them into a nation, called them Israel, said he belonged to them, gave them his the Ten Commandments, we call them, the covenant, the, the thing that made them belong to him. And the passing through the water was a, a picture of that marked that transition. Once you will know people, now you belong to God. That's what water does. So picture again Jesus coming out of the water in the River Jordan. It's as though God is saying, Jesus is that story all over again. The, the, the Old Testament people failed. They broke that covenant. They broke their promises. They broke their word. So God starts it again. A new covenant again. Jesus is the new Israel again. The story starts. 
and we belong to him and to his story. And so those who are baptized say, yes, I belong to Jesus. I intend to follow Jesus. Creation, flood, the Red Sea, great stories that tell us about baptism. Now here's the thing, if you think about this. We've touched on the word covenant. We talked about it quite a bit when we talked about the Lord's Supper. It's, it's God making a promise. It's his promise to us, not our promise to him. And he gives us tangible signs of his promise, just like I wear a wedding ring as a sign of my covenant with Sharon. He gives us physical signs, signs of his covenant. Now, none of those are things that we do. We don't make a decision to be created. We don't make a decision to be rescued. We don't make a decision to decide to make God own us. All of those are things where God takes the initiative. God starts first. It's really important with baptism we get that. This is not first and front someone saying, I'm taking initiative, God notice me. It's saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm doing what Jesus did, and I'm doing what Jesus says, and I belong to him. He's in charge. I said those were three stories, and I also promised you three pictures. Here's one picture, and maybe you recognize this too. Being spiritually thirsty, being dry, being parched, lacking spiritual water. Here's a promise that God made way back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 41. It's one of a number of similar passages. I've just chosen one. I could have gone for a dozen, I think. Isaiah 41, verse 17. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the Lord God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the waters everywhere. God is turning a desert into water and he's saying, that's not actually something I'm going to do with the land, that's something I'm going to do with you. Your spiritual thirst, and there isn't anybody here who isn't spiritually thirsty, your spiritual thirst will be something I will meet. John takes that, uh, Jesus takes that rather, in talking to a woman by a well. This is, and I'm sorry about these passages, but you can... Uh, Check up later if you're getting tired of looking them up. This is John chapter 4. He's talking by a woman by a well. Jesus asks, the, Jesus asks the woman for a drink. And the woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where, Well, Jesus promises her living water. He says, it's not about a drink. I can give you living water. She says, where can you get the living water from? You've got nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That is an amazing picture of what Jesus does. Because he says he's going to take that picture which is outside us and put it inside us. He's going to answer all our spiritual thirst wherever we experience it for the whole of our lives and beyond. And more than that, rather than just being a sponge that keeps absorbing living water from outside, he says, I'm going to put the source of it inside you. And you will bubble up constantly with this living water. That's what that picture of going in the baptism pool symbolizes. That as Christians, we have living water inside us, bubbling up forever. No longer spiritually thirsty, but spiritually drenched. Second picture, what do we need water for? We're dirty. We're thirsty and we're dirty. It's a familiar Bible picture that our things that we do that are wrong are seen by God as dirt. There's a big uh, Bible theme about the theme of things being unclean. It's all going back to this big idea that we are in a, in a mess, I suppose, in a way, but dirt is the picture of it. We, we are spiritually filthy. Turn with me back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. If you uh, want to listen again to track these references down, uh, this, will go out, this talk will go out on the podcast, so you can do your references if you want to. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In other words, your sins are currently dyeing you red, like blood. I'm going to hold out a promise to you that you'll be washed clean. Isaiah doesn't say how that's going to happen, but he says, here's your present state, and here's a promise that you might be clean. Now, that comes through to the New Testament as a picture of what baptism does. It's a picture that God has, through Jesus' death, got rid of our spiritual dirt, our spiritual pollution, and made us right, pure, before him. There's a bunch of Christians in an, in an early church in a place called Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And Paul is calling them to live up to their standards, to live up to what they, uh, they know they ought to be. And he, he lists a whole load of things that are wrong in culture and wrong in society and to some extent wrong in the church as well. And he says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
and he uses that as a springboard to say, so Christian live differently. But here's the idea. <clears throat> what, Isaiah, what Isaiah looks forward to and says, one day this will happen, <clears throat> you will get cleaned, you will get washed. Paul says, this happened when you believed in Jesus. You were washed by Jesus. You were cleansed by Jesus. And going in that baptism pool is a picture of being washed and being clean. Third picture, <clears throat> and here's a rather gloomy one. It's not just a picture of being thirsty and of being dirty, it's a picture of being dead. When we go to a baptism, we're actually going to a funeral. Let me explain to you what I mean. Baptism is a word that Jesus used <clears throat> to describe his own death. It was a, a picture somehow. I think he said, the destiny ahead of me, being crucified, is so full on, so all-embracive, I'm going to be plunged in it. So when he was talking to two of his followers who were keen to say, I'll go with you, I'll do whatever you want, <clears throat> uh, Jesus said this to them. I have lost it now. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got the wrong reference here. He's talking to people and he says to them, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Someone can find that reference for me. <coughs> can you be baptized with what's going to happen to me? And they say, yeah, of course we can. He said, well, in that case you will. But here's what's about to happen to me. And in describing his death and his resurrection, he describes it as a baptism. It's a weird thought, isn't it? Jesus' death is a baptism. I think because it's a plunging down. Paul takes this picture in Romans. And he says this. We were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. Let me see if I can explain this to you. You're going to watch this in a moment with these two. But it goes like this. When you see them plunged beneath the water, Think of them being buried. When you see them coming out the water, think of them being raised from the dead. It's a really powerful picture, isn't it? You die and you rise again, and therefore you live a new life. I was in a church once where they were trying to explain this, uh, and the guy had a video of the baptism. And uh, so the person went under the water, and the guy speaking said, now, hold, hold, put a put pause on that. And he spent 10 minutes explaining why baptism was like being, dying, like dying with Christ. And all we could see on this screen was this person underwater for 10 minutes. And then when he finally said, okay, play the video, and the person came up out the water, there was an almost cheer around the building, alas, we can stop holding our breath. You die, you rise again. So there's three pictures there to go with our three stories. Three stories, creation, flood, and the Red Sea. Three pictures, thirst, 
dirt, and a funeral. But I said there was one truth. All of these line up with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. They're all pictures of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and doing that work. Who is it who meets those needs of thirst and dirt and death? Who is the means by which God brings those blessings into an individual Christian's life? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. So at that moment, Jesus has been glorified. And at that moment, those people being baptized receive the Holy Spirit, and the story is complete. So we now understand a little bit about what we're going to watch and what we're going to understand. These two understand a bit more about what they will experience for the rest of their lives about being clean and washed and belonging and no longer being thirsty and having their thirst quenched by Jesus. But above all, we're going to pray that every day of their lives, they will know what it is like and what it means to have this Holy Spirit living and working in them, bubbling up with new life, with God's personal presence. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we head into and head towards baptism, we pray for these two, and we pray that... We thank you for the story of their journey so far and we pray that in your goodness and mercy you will take them on as your washed, cleaned, redeemed people filled with your spirit and belonging to you forever. Amen.